The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Hello, friends. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to review two Austin FC matches, one a lot more fun than the other. We'll preview the second matchup against FC Dallas coming up this weekend, and we're also going to be joined by our good friend and official uncle of Moon Tower Soccer, Phil West, to talk about Josh Wolf's green shirt and the upcoming MLS All-Star Game. My name is Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I feel like this soccer week has been a month. I don't know about you, but like going back and reviewing the notes, like for Vancouver, I was like, this game has to have been like three weeks ago. And I was like, or, yeah. or it was just Wednesday. On Wednesday, yeah. Yeah, it's been crazy. Yeah, the life in general has been crazy. We got back from Mexico on, wait, no, that was two weeks ago too. <laughs> anyway, I'm I'm single dog dad right now because Ashley's still in Mexico doing some uh, some volunteer stuff. So me and Tito, producer Tito, who's asleep on the floor over here, have just been bacheloring it up together. But I've also somehow still been very busy. And so the last two weeks in general have felt like they've flown by, but also Wednesday seems like it was a month ago somehow. Yeah. So how, how do you and Tito eat when you're doing Bachelor Dog Dad? Or I guess, I mean, I assume Tito probably eats the same, but do you do you like have hot dogs over the sink or do you still cook for yourself? Or what does that look like? I, ch- I try to continue to eat healthy, but I do end up eating stuff over the sink a lot of times. But uh Tito's Tito's meal plan stays about the same. Um, I actually travels a lot for work or did before, before the pandemic anyway. And the first little stretch I did eat like garbage when she was out of town and I like had to put my foot down on myself and (laughs) tell myself that that's not okay to do anymore. Cause I always felt terrible afterwards. And so I, I try to give myself a good little balance of like ease and health. That's very responsible of you. So no, no Texaco <laughs> like hot dogs from the gas station or. Um, no, my my vice is uh, is frozen pizzas. Oh, those are good. Somebody was um, sending me. Do you, you eat a lot of pepperoni rolls? Somebody was sending me like a Totino's pepperoni rolls pictures, which made me think of my childhood. I think I haven't had one since I was like eighteen, but I could. No, do I haven't that had again. one since college. I don't think. Well, maybe we'll have to do we'll have to do that on a show. We can sample pepperoni rolls. <laughs> One of, one of my favorite podcasts, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, um, they had an, an episode sponsored by Totino's, and they just ate pepperoni rolls, like pizza rolls, the whole episode. And I've never wanted a pizza roll so bad in my whole <laughs> life, but I still haven't had one since then. Maybe, maybe one day, one day. It, if anybody from Totino's is listening, we're open. We have we have another sponsor slot open, so if you're... If you're uh, if you're interested, let us know. We'll we'll work for pizza rolls. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of uh, unhealthy food, which wait, I guess this is the opposite. You have Vancouver listed as vegetables, so we can get yeah. you dessert. So speaking of healthy food, let's eat our vegetables and talk about Wednesday night. Yeah. So we're gonna go through this one quickly, partly because we're we have a lot to talk about on this episode, but also who the hell wants to talk about this game? <laughs> Uh, we talked about last week how this is the kind of team that Austin needs to beat if they want to make the playoffs. Um, we, we had a mostly healthy roster going into it. I was feeling pretty confident. Like we can beat Vancouver with this team. It's not what ended up happening. The game ended 
two one. Uh, even after Austin FC scored the first goal, um, and Cecilio Dominguez, I think this is one of the bigger stories from the game. Cecilio Dominguez gets pulled off after 28 minutes uh, because apparently he just, in the moment, we didn't know what it was, right? So, like, what were you thinking in that moment? Did did you have an idea of what was going on, or were you just confused? I mean, I I thought that he just he looked terrible, right? Which we it makes sense why after the fact, but yeah, I thought Josh just pulled him because he was like lazy and turning balls over. And that seemed like a really big moment to do that 28 minutes into a game with one of your designated players to just pull him off the field. Cause he was like not trying very hard, which is what my assumption was. Yeah. So he gets pulled, goes straight to the locker room, which again, not a great sign. None of the training staff followed him. I think it was, uh, is it Andrew Delalo? Is that his name? He's like one of the like player relations guys. He went into the locker room with him, but none of the training staff did. So I was like, okay, he's not hurt. He just got pulled. Um, I was afraid that this was like a very dark turning point in the Austin FC story where, okay, one of our designated players and the coach maybe aren't going to be getting along anymore. Uh, Maybe Cecilio is just done with this season. He's not going to give us our best effort. And if he does, he's going to be doing it in spite of Josh Wolf, as opposed to working in tandem with him. After the game, we got a little bit more information about it. And then also on the, the rewatch uh, on when I watched the TV broadcast, I got some information out of that that made me think a little differently about it. But Josh Wolf was, was speaking very highly of Cecilia Dominguez in both the press conference that night. And then, because there was another game over the weekend, there was another press conference like 15 hours later. Yeah, the next Thursday day. Afternoon. Yeah. And so in those two press conferences, Wolf was speaking very highly of Cecilio. He said that um, that Cecilio had been sick during the day and didn't really let anybody know. And so he seemed frustrated about that. But aside from that, spoke very highly of him, talked about how um, how – I'm trying to think of some of the words he used. I think honest was one of them, just like a just like a solid human being that he really respects, that he really likes having the locker room, that he's one of the leaders in the locker room. Um, and so hearing him say those kinds of things and just seemed frustrated that Cecilio didn't tell him that he was sick during the day. And like, maybe we could have done something different. We could have uh, given him some treatment, helped him out a little bit during the day or not started him maybe. And so he seemed frustrated, but was was not acting like there was any kind of bad blood between them on that same day, Cecilia Dominguez posts an Instagram photo of all the guys in the locker room with their hands in together. And I can't remember exactly what the caption was, but it was something about the team sticking together. We got to keep fighting kind of, that was the general message message of the, of the caption. Those two things together made me think, okay, this isn't as bad as we think. The thing I I saw when I rewatched the broadcast is Cecilio comes off the field he goes to the sideline and gives John Gallagher a hug as he's replacing him. And so if you're stomping off the field angry and like don't care about your teammates, don't care about your coach, that's not a thing you do, right? Like you just run past and go into the locker room. But Cecilia gives Gallagher a hug, tells him good luck, goes on the field, and then goes in the locker room. So um, a very scary moment for sure, but it ended up being not as bad as we all thought. Yeah, and that that point reminds me of something you know. The, in the post game press conference, the I think it was a 
one of the very first questions somebody asked Josh about like a player, like a player council, like who, who are the leaders in the players council? And a lot of it, right? The people you'd expect, right? It's Ring, it's Beasler, it's Cascante. I'm going to screw it up once I start naming names, but he specifically mentions Cecilio is one of them too, which is another thing yeah. that, made, that reminded me that, that, just like you said, was further evidence that it was something else going on, you know, and not what I think everybody thought in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the team looked better after he came off. Gallagher was um, didn't go to center forward, so Drewsi started this game at center forward with uh, Pochettino at the ten, and then with Cecilio on the left, Diego on the right. Gallagher came in and was playing. I believe he stayed on the left where Cecilio was. I think him and him and Fagundes ended up switching sides a couple of times throughout the game. But uh, we looked a little better. He was actually making making some runs and trying to stretch the back line. We still didn't see a lot of that in this game, but looked better. And then the goal comes in the 37th minute. Alex Ring uh, scores a header off of a corner from Sebastian Driussi. So Driussi gets his first assist for Austin. Alex Ring, Alex Ring scores another really good header. So it seems like Alex Ring only only does really good headers or really bad headers. I've not seen many in between. N- nothing, nothing in between. And maybe this is foreshadowing of the Alex ring that we would see later in the weekend, you know, contributing or on the weekend, contributing to the offense here. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so Austin was winning. They were controlling possession, but I don't know that I ever felt super steady in this game. <laughs> there were a lot of things that just, I didn't feel very easy about. So, uh, at halftime, Vancouver brings on Ryan Gauld, their young uh, young Scottish DP. I think he's a yeah he's a DP, um, and they end up scoring off of a uh, a rebound off of a corner kick that I believe Gauld takes the corner kick. It's a really nice corner uh, with the left foot. The guy who originally hits it was pretty much unmarked at the back post. Stuver saves that one, and then uh, nobody really is fighting for the ball hard enough, and somebody is able to tap the rebound in. So that's 1-1 there. Then in the 74th minute, um, Ryan Gauld involved in a pass again, so Vancouver gets a counterattack, and Gauld ends up getting it close to the touchline, Puts the ball across. I think he was trying to dink it into the far post, but Brian White follows up and is able to to tap it in as it goes past that far post. One thing I wanted to point out here, and I believe uh, I saw James Delory mention this in Los Verdes Slack, or I don't know that I would have picked it, picked up on it, but Nick Lima takes a throw in uh, just past the halfway line on the right side. Remember that at this moment, Nick Lima is playing left back. I don't know why he was over there. I don't remember how he got over there. But normally, like, teams are pretty pretty strict about this usually. Like, if if there's a throw-in anywhere near the midway line or further back, the outside back takes the throw. And the reason for that is is that they throw the ball in, they step in bounds, and everybody's in position. So you're not going to get caught, up, caught out of position that way. Nick Lima is over there. Hector Jimenez, who's playing right back, is about 10 yards ahead of him, also standing on the touchline. And Nick Lima takes the throw. We turn the ball over. 
And there on the break, Nick Lima has to run all the way back across the field. And by the time that ball gets cut across to Brian White, Nick Lima is not far from him, but he's been sprinting for 70 yards and just doesn't have that extra little punch of gas to get over to, to challenge him at all. And so I don't know why Nick Lima did that. Like, I don't know if he forgot that he was playing left back instead of right back in that moment. It's like, oh yeah, I'll just take this throw in. But that was a really strange, strange thing to see there. And um, Austin's offense looked pretty toothless uh, in the second half late in the game. Do you remember what minute this was? It was close to added time, if not in it. I mean, it was like, it was high 80s. 80, yeah, 89th yeah. minute. Um, Rodney Redes and Julio Cascante come on for, uh, they come on for Tomas Pochettino and Johan Romagna. So I was thinking, okay, Cascante is going to go play center back. <laughs> nope. <laughs> or center forward. Yeah, Julio Cascante goes to center forward. Alex Ring drops the center back. And we just kind of start launching balls deep up to Julio Cascante. He wins some of them, but just like heads them on for nobody or to a person completely by themselves. What what were your thoughts and feelings when this happened? Well, I was, I mean, I, like, I think a lot of people, the attack had looked so toothless that I was not expecting a lot out of it. Now, actually was in supporters and I was standing next to the ensigns. And so at first when he came in, Derek says, Cascante said four. I was like, no, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Surely you're like misinformed. But yeah, that's actually uh, what he was doing. I don't know. It just seemed like, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a symptom of the roster because it's crazy, but who else were you going to put in there? There's, there's no, literally no other forwards to put on the field at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, 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 <laughs> desperation was the was the thought that came through my head and it was just so bizarre to me to see Josh Wolf be so rigid with certain parts of his game plan and like including subs and changes that he made and a lot of that is to a lack of options off of the bench really but to see him go from from this very strict idea of how he wants to play the game to putting Julio Cascante at center forward I was again like we saw that moment of Dominguez being pulled off the field. And then we see Cascante being thrown at center forward. And I was like, Oh man. Okay. This is Austin FC's season and existence is, is taking a a very bad break right now. And I don't think I like it very much. Yeah. Chris bills in the, the striker Texas article after this match mentioned three takeaways from the worst Austin FC loss yet. And I've definitely that night believed that, that to be the case, that that was the worst that it had gotten so far. Absolutely. Uh, so some of the stats here, um, Austin FC ended up with 62% possession. That's nothing new. Outshot 19 to 10. Again, nothing new. We've seen that in a lot of games. Uh, the expected goals, Vancouver won that one 3 to 0.84. So not a lot of good chances even. Two shots on target. Um which was the goal and then one shot from Cecilio, which I, Oh, I do remember it. It was actually a a pretty decent little play that Cecilio just like didn't hit very hard from the top of the box. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably the best, the best attack they had in the first half hour was that one play. Yeah. So 
uh, press conference right after the game was grim, as you'd imagine. Um, but Wolf, I don't know. I feel like Wolf's tone shifted a little bit here. I I feel like he he knows the pressure is on him, and he was a little bit less. Um, he didn't dig his heels in as much as he has in the past. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I was gonna. I was just that the word I was looking for was defensive. He was less defensive. Um, he talked about again, you know, them not exhibiting during games the things that they've talked about during the week, and then he really, I think, sent a lot of love to the fans. And so I'll just kind of read this quote that he that he said. Um, said we're all open to criticism right now. The team's not performing well enough, and that's my job and our staff's job to get the best out of us. Me, uh, so we're all frustrated, disappointed for the fans, me for them more than anything, because they pour their heart and soul into every one of these games. We see the fans out and about in the city. They're extremely, extremely supportive and it's our job to keep pushing on. And I thought that was sort of indicative of the moment that he took that time to sort of realize like the extreme frustration that the fan base is feeling about the progression of the season to date. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think this, the moments between well, really, I mean, it started with the Salt, the Real Salt Lake game, but I think between Real Salt Lake up until the Portland game is probably the darkest period of Austin FC fandom to date. Um, things were not looking great. the the wolf The hashtag Wolf Out movement was was growing in numbers for sure. Um, I think one thing. One thing. I think me and me and uh, number one Moon Tower soccer fan Katie and Sign got in a little argument about this the other day. But I think a lot of fans expected Wolf, or they think that Wolf. I don't know how to say this. They feel that Wolf doesn't value them, maybe. And I think the Dallas game was one of the reasons why. Like, okay, this is a rivalry match. You're not going to start any of our DPS. You're going to kind of try to sneak a point out of this one. And some of the fans felt disrespected by that. My argument was that I don't think Josh Wolf should care what the fans think from a tactical perspective. I don't think he should care what the fans think, but I think he should be grateful for what the fans provide in that stadium. And I think he is. I don't I don't think he's pandering. I I think he means that. And he said it in press conferences before. Like this isn't the first time he said stuff like this. But it is it is really nice to hear to hear a coach talk like that. And I think fans fans really enjoy it. Um so it, yeah, where where I don't really think that Wolf should take fan consideration into how he picks his team or to what tactic tactics he uses. I do think it's really nice to for him to kind of tip his hat to fans. And we'll get into more of that um, whenever we talk to Phil about Josh Wolf's shirt choices. But I think this week was kind of a turning point there where Wolf understands he's under pressure. And I think he's maybe realized the power of just a few little gestures like that and what, what it can do with the the overall mood and kind of the relationship that he has with the fans. Yeah, and I think you, I think you did see that. And you, you mentioned him not digging in his heels. But, um, you know, last week when we talked about Wolf in the lineup and maybe learning from it, you know, and you mentioned him like him not being like so proud that he wouldn't learn from his own mistakes. And I think some people might have had some questions about that a little bit, um, based upon the ways appeared at press conferences, the ways responded to criticism, but with the post game and then 
uh, the one the next day. Like he, he definitely, you know, he seems to have grown and learned out of that um, just in a short amount of time. So I mentioned that this was some of the, the darkest times of Austin FC fandom. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and talk about some of the, the brightest 90 minutes of Austin FC fandom so far. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FEF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And also, I did see uh, this week on social that they're well, I've, they're out volunteering in the community again, which is good because we have talked about their dedication to community. But uh, I think they volunteered at the food bank, and I think I saw them out somewhere else too. So they're putting their their money where their ad copy is and in, in being out in the community and supporting Austin. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, my brother and uh, and his wife came to town and went to the game with me on Saturday. And um, FEF has like their their logo flashes up in the stadium every once in a while. I was like, hey, these we work with those guys on the podcast, and it was like a, a proud moment for me that I could not only uh, be associated with someone that's doing that, but also it for it to be a law firm and me to be like proud of it and be like, yeah, we work with those guys, and I'm I'm happy to tell people about it. You can go to fef.law to find out what makes FEF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fef.law. All right, let's talk about hot sauce. Let's do it. Again. So, okay, guess we're going to talk about Teardrop Pepper Company when we're talking about hot sauce because they have finally created the perfect recipe right here in Austin, Texas. Their all-natural award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more whether eating them over the sink or on a plate yeah and so i uh talking about bachelor lifestyle while my wife is out of town today for lunch i had (laughs) i had a tortilla an heb tortilla with a piece of bacon and some mixed greens and then poured a bunch of teardrop pepper company hot sauce on it and it was good as weird as that combo may sound <laughs> it worked it was great so you can again put it on anything it's great put on anything so was that the golden habanero or the supreme serrano um i think i did the serrano yeah i did the serrano with that one all right well either of those the best way to your spice up your austin fc pre-match meals teardrop pepper co has those two unique flavors available you can order them from the website, teardroppepperco.com, or from the social media pages, and use offer code GOLD to save 10% on your order. Put it on everything. They'll make more. All right. Now that we have eaten our vegetables with the, the Vancouver match, let's have some dessert, Jeremiah. Austin FC beats Portland Timbers 3-1. As their second win against Portland. Their second... Um, statement win, I guess, like not just a win, but they beat them bad twice. And this is a stat that I saw in Sam Jones's MLS newsletter the other day that 41% of Austin's total goals for their entire existence have come against the Portland Timbers. (laughs) 41%. (laughs) I don't know what to think about that, but we'll just, we'll take it. And we get to play them. We'll get to play them one more time too. 
that's kind of a burn both on Austin and on Portland. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, John Gallagher scored the first goal at Q2 Stadium back on July 1st, which led to a 4-1 win. Austin wins this game 3-1. Um, I don't, how are you feeling coming into this one? I like the last two games had me a little bit nervous, but I still had a little bit of hope. Like again, we had, we had some decent rest, um, got to rest a few guys coming into it, but also just knowing that, I don't know that kind of that we had Portland's number. Did you, did you feel like there was any residual, uh, positivity coming from that or were, were the last two games too concerning for you to feel any any hope for this one? I felt like if we were going to turn it around that it, it had to come, uh, you know, for whatever reason, we match ups really well against Portland and I felt like Sebastian Giussi having another few days to train and and find his way into the lineup um, would be a positive for us. But, you know, it was either, it was like Portland or bus too on Saturday, right? Like if this one had gone south, I can't can't imagine playing out the rest of the season. So luckily we had the turnaround um, that we did. And and really from the start, right? I mean, right off the bat, they look good. Yeah. And so I think the it's worth talking about the 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 lineup for this one because it was a little bit different than anything we've seen so far. So Driussi, we mentioned starting against Vancouver at the nine. And this game he started at um at one of the the dual tins, what Josh Wolf calls him, you might call it an eight as well. Anyway, he he started there. We saw Dominguez at the nine, Fagundes on the left wing, Gallagher on the right wing, and then Danny Pereira was the deepest midfielder at the six, and Alex Ring was playing up alongside Sebastian Driussi. So this was a thing we we hadn't seen very much of. I think we saw um, Ring play a bit more advanced one game when Burhalter was in the lineup and Burhalter played a little bit deeper and he looked good, decent in that game as well. So um, I think that partnership ended up being one of the best parts of the game was ring ring and Drusy playing next to each other. So that was, that was really bizarre and uh, interesting to see and surprising to see, but it ended up working. So seven minutes into the game, uh, Cecilia Dominguez is one-on-one with uh, Portland's right back, Van Rankin. He kind of does some some crafty footwork, gets past him, and then goes down just inside the box. It was not initially called a penalty. In the moment, did you think it was a penalty or did you think Cecilio dove? I did think it was a penalty. And I've I've been much very much a Cecilio dives too much guy. <laughs> before but for whatever reason and it was a little bit far away because i was uh on the you know on the south end but um i mean for me it was basically the the textbook you know definition he was in the box he got fouled i mean it's one of those that i don't love that it is a penalty but by the letter letter of the rule like it seemed like a pretty clear penalty to me how did you feel about it in the moment i thought like the way cecilio went down i thought it was a nailed on penalty but i didn't get a good angle of it there just like it was across the other side of the field so i didn't know for sure i didn't see a replay of it until the next day or maybe later that night and i watched it and the first view you see of it because the camera is on the opposite side of where my seats are and that first view i was like oh cecilio dove that's not a penalty but then there's a couple of other angles you watch and it looks like like the first view it looks like van rankin steps across and kind of misses Cecilio's right leg entirely. 
and Cecilio just goes down. But on a different view, he steps across and steps on Cecilio's left foot. He stepped on both his feet, right? Didn't he ultimately end up? I, it's hard. It's hard to say. I never got like a really close up angle on any any of the the broadcast footage that I watch, but it looked like he at least stepped on his left foot, and it did. I don't. I don't know that Cecilia was even trying to go down. I think he just was actually fell down, which I know that's not always <laughs> the case with him. But I really do think that Van Rankin stepped on his foot and he went down. But either way, I think after watching the review, I think VAR got it right. They uh, took a moment to review it. Center ref goes over, reviews it, comes back and and very decisively calls the penalty. And I yeah, I think it was the right, the right, uh the right decision in the moment. So while the review is going, Cecilia Dominguez is standing on the penalty spot, essentially saying, like, I'm taking this. Y'all step off. Like nobody even tried to come over here. How did that make you feel? Because I was pretty nervous about it. No, I liked it. I mean, the fact that he had that that confidence. And then he wanted it to be him. Like, I was willing to believe in Cecilio in that moment, being the guy that, that takes that shot. Like, who do you... It's not something we've, we've had before. Like, if, if it was up to you, who would, our, who would our penalty taker be? Uh, I mean, strictly on paper, I'd put Juicy there. But, uh, yeah, in the moment, like, I don't know. Juicy's still new to the team a little bit, and Dominguez has something to prove. And I think... Yeah, I, I I do like the that attitude where like, nope, this one's mine. I'm going to do it. And uh, Steve Clark is kind of like bouncing back and forth on the line as Cecilio gets ready to do it. Cecilio just kind of trots up to the ball and calmly just like puts it in. Hit it super hard, just puts it into the bottom right corner. And did you see uh, Eric Hagan? Eric Hagan is the chief legal officer for Austin FC who has, has done some pretty – pretty popular tweets over the over the season but did you see his tweet in response to this no clip? i didn't see this one do you know that um that scene from indiana jones where there's a guy with a big old sword, like big sword and he's like swinging it and doing all this fancy work with a sword and indiana jones just pulls a gun out and shoots him in the chest <laughs> yes i do was that his response? <laughs> he, posted, yeah. he posted that in response to the clip of cecilia doing this with clark Bouncing back and forth across the line, and Cecilia just dinks it into the right corner. All right. And Clark doesn't even move. I think he kind of maybe wrong-footed him a little bit, but Clark didn't dive or or jump or do anything. He just kind of stood there and watched it go in, but I thought that was pretty funny. Um, that is Austin's first ever penalty. That's the first one they've ever been rewarded, and it's the first one they've scored, which is kind of bizarre. I think Adrian Healy on the broadcast pointed out that the Chicago Fire are the only other team that hasn't been awarded a penalty this season. Uh, and another first from the Vancouver game that I forgot to point out, that was Austin FC's first goal from a corner as well, I believe, was Alex Ring's header. So finally got a few firsts out of the finally, way. Finally getting some firsts <laughs> out of the way on set pieces and, and other things, yeah. Um, so a few minutes later, Cecilio Dominguez also took part in the next goal in the 14th minute. So Fagundes uh, kind of gets into a... Uh, sh- like shoulder to shoulder duel with someone around midfield and comes out with the ball. He's driving in on uh, the left side of midfield, plays it to the center to Cecilio. He turns, uh, turns and kind of faces the other way. In the meantime, while Cecilio receives the ball, Diego Fagundes turns into a Verde and black streak and just like starts running as fast as he can towards the box. And so Cecilio turns plays uh plays a ball into an on-rushing Nick Lima on the right side. Lima takes one touch, looks up, takes another touch and puts in a really nice cross. 
to Fagundes, who again, once he passed it to me to Dominguez, just is sprinting towards that back post. And this is a thing that doesn't happen very much with Austin, where somebody makes a decisive run, a, the person with the ball sees that decisive run and then puts the ball right on top of their head or right on their foot. Yeah. It was great. And like in the moment, uh Kevin Kevin Morris sat with us and he was laughing about this, but in the moment I saw I saw Dominguez start running. And as soon as he ran, I was like, look at Diego, look at Diego, look at Diego. And then Lima puts it right on his head and Diego scores a header top corner. I was like, yeah, <laughs> I just like went crazy because it's again, like you just don't see Austin do that. Like a guy made a hard, decisive run. Someone puts a cross in and they score. Like, do that more. Do it, do that again. <laughs> it's, it's apparently not that hard. Just do it more. Uh, but that that was one of my one of my favorite Austin FC goals. And uh Samuel Mintz, amateur dumbass, asked the question on Twitter: was the Fagundes goal the best actual soccer sequence we've seen all year? A clean layoff to the left, played back to the center, found the overlapping right back, high floated cross, snap header, and in. Looked pretty textbook. You love to see it. What do you think that's true? Is that the the best sequence of soccer that Austin FC has played this season? It's a beautiful sequence of soccer. It was the best header I've seen for sure. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily by itself. I mean, I don't know what the other I don't know what the other choices would be, but I feel like that, oh, well, that I mean, Diego we'll, goal we'll say was once- really pretty. Yeah, ones that ended in goals. I think there are some other really nice ones. Um, you could look at Gallagher's goal against Portland, the first goal at Q2. That one was nice, but I think there was like an element of luck and circumstance in that one because I think Cascante, I think I'm thinking of the same goal. Cascante kind of chests it down and is trying to get it to somebody else trying to get it to Pochettino, I think, and it goes past him and kind of goes to it. And then Cecilio scored a couple of really good goals that I think there was maybe some lucky touches involved. This one was everything went exactly right. off without yeah. a hitch, exactly how they planned it. So I think for that reason that Samuel might be right. Like this might be um, the best sequence only for the fact that every part of it was entirely intentional. That's a really good point. And that's, you know, they had in, like we had, Two, two, almost two of those in a row. Um, I think both both goals, the second and third goals of the first half, were examples of beautiful soccer that we don't always play, um, or that doesn't yeah. always pay off. And both of them paid off. Yeah. So in the 29th minute, uh, Sebastian Juicy or Big Sebastian, we got too many Sebastians, we have to label them. Um, he gets his first goal for Austin FC. Uh, I. I really liked this goal. I thought it was really nice. So Beasler finds Drusi in between lines, which is something that Chris Bills has been harping on that Austin FC hasn't been doing enough lately is having some of those deeper players find attackers in between lines. And so he does that here. Drusi turns, drives towards the box. He plays the ball across, uh, across the top of the box to Dominguez. If you watch uh, Dominguez, so Dominguez dummies it and lets it roll through the ring. If you go back and watch Dominguez as this is happening, so Driussi is pushing the ball forward. Dominguez is running, kind of checking to him, and he turns and looks over his shoulder and sees that ring is there. And so as soon as as um, as Driussi plays that ball to him, he just lets it. He like runs over towards the ball and lets it run through his legs. 
And that gives Ring just that extra bit of space and extra bit of time. And he gets he turns, plays it wide to Gallagher. Gallagher strikes it really well, beats the keeper. Uh, Bill Chuiloma is kind of tracking back, turns around, and is able to stick a foot out just right at the right moment to clear it off the line. But Fagundes is there, able to get the rebound. He kind of stalls a little bit while players get into position to make a run. Driussi uh, crashes the box, and Fagundes finds him, and Driussi puts it into the essentially roofs it. I think he it hit the roof of the net before it hit anything else. But um, I, I thought in the moment it was a really good goal. But after watching replays of that goal, that finish was really really nice. Actually, is that was was it was Cecilio kind of on the line by the time he got? He was pretty deep by the time he played that ball back across. Right? Is that the goal I'm thinking about? Um. No, so Cecilio did that dummy and then made a run into the box, which also probably gave Ring a little bit of time and space as well, and then probably pulled some guys over for Gallagher as well. So Cecilio didn't touch the ball, but gotcha. okay, played a, sorry. A, a decent part in it as well. So he was he was in the mixer there, but never really got close to the ball, but still had some influence on it. So uh, Austin pretty much controlled the rest of that half. They weren't able to score again, but still looked really good. Uh, at halftime, Portland brought on Sebastian Blanco, and things started to change a little bit there. So they started to have some more dangerous stretches of possession. Blanco looked really good and was kind of cutting through our midfield. In the 55th minute, uh, Dyron Aspria puts a goal past Stuver. So I think there was a ball played into Cecilio around midfield. Cecilio takes a bad touch, turns it over. They play one ball to Espria, gets to the top of the box. He turns and just smashes it. And I think it was kind of knuckling. It's Stuver probably should have done better to save it there. And I think he would probably want that one back. We've seen him make much more difficult saves, including in this game. There are two or three really good saves in this game. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I think Stuver could have done better. I think there's a little bit of knuckle there that he kind of lost track of it and wasn't able to recover. But... Uh, that ended up being 3-1. I think one of the criticisms that Josh Wolf has received this season, and probably fairly so, is his hesitation to make changes during the game. So as Blanco comes on and is kind of cutting us up here, uh, Wolf sees it, and in the 62nd, 62nd minute, he brings on Johan Romagna for Sebastian Drusi, and he doesn't put him at center forward. He puts him in, <laughs> yeah. in a back three. And so uh, Cascante goes into the middle of the back three with Beasler on the left, Romagna on the right, short up the defense and allowed Austin to see up the game. So I thought that was a really, a really uh, smart move by Wolf. Romagna came in and did really, really well. I thought he's looked really good in his last couple of performances. Um, and yeah, kind of shut him down and didn't really give him a chance to get back into the game there. So in the 74th minute, Pochettino and Jimenez come on for Diego and Kolmanich. At this point, Musajite is warming up. And we're thinking, okay, we're, we're going to get a look at, at Musajite here. But as it turns out, Berhalter and Stroud end up coming on for Ring and Cecilio. So we didn't get to see Musajite. It was great to see him warming up, great to see him on the bench. Uh, and hopefully we'll get to see him play a few minutes against Dallas. Yeah, I saw it was. I did see him, you know, in front of us, but it just didn't. It like wasn't really the moment, right? There was no need to bring Musajite in here, right? Yeah. We had, we had there was no purpose to have like a number nine in there when they're just trying to see the game out. So I, I see how they were making. It was good that they were making like for like subs there, and it was good that he, he just got some time like 
on the line, hanging out with the guys and warming up and sort of being part of the environment, even if he didn't get on the field. Yeah, I, t- I told Kevin Morris whenever it happened that this is a game that Jared Stroud was made for. It's just like there's no offensive expectations of you just go in and run and like be annoying to people. And like <laughs> you're, you're, you're great at that. I have a lot of faith that you're going to do an excellent job at that. All right, let's talk through a few stats real quick. Uh, so Portland actually led possession um, up until the third goal, which was even in the moment was surprising to me. Austin FC has it up on a scoreboard and I check over once in a while and they were up, I think like by 10 points, it was like 55, 45 at points when Austin FC was two nil up and it was about to be three nil up, which was really weird to me. I don't know why that's why it didn't feel that way in the stadium. I thought the same thing too. When I was standing over there, I was like, I think these are backwards. They have like the wrong, like the wrong team in front of the number, but all the other all the other numbers are right. So I assumed it wasn't, but yeah, it eventually did turn because you know once we got the three zero lead, Austin started possessing the ball and playing it a lot more conservatively and ended up with fifty five percent possession um, on the night. So uh, possession at much more purpose than maybe earlier in the week. Uh, we also saw Austin outshoot Portland nineteen to eleven, and then on target was nine to six. And then Jeremiah, your favorite stat. My favorite number, yeah. So 60, well, two-thirds of our shots were from inside the box, which, you know, again, tends to lead to more goals. And then we, as always, had more, you know, more passes completed and a higher passing percentage. And we led on X goals, too, but I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was it was fairly convincing. Like, I think it was a convincing win, both on the eye test and just by the numbers all the way around. We're going to take another quick little break. We're going to come back and answer some questions from Twitter. So uh, people sent us a lot of really great questions about the Portland game, about Austin FC's formation, about uh, where certain players are going to play, when are we going to see Musa Jite, all that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and answer all those questions. And then after that, we're going to talk to Phil West about the All-Star game. So stay tuned. We are back and we have a lot of Twitter questions to try to get through. All right. So I'm going to lead this off and I'm going to start with what so I tried. We tried to organize these by topic. And so we're probably not going to get to every person's individual question, but uh, leading in or leading, talking back about the match, you know, I think the first two we have are specifically about Portland and they come from John Schultz and from Katie Ensign, which is basically like, is this repeatable? Is this just a coincidence that we look best, our best against Portland or is there something else going on that just hap- happens to have happened during the two Portland matches? I think it is somewhat repeatable. Um, to be honest, Portland's defense has not been very good either of the times we've played them, and I think that has led to a lot of it. But Austin also performed really well, and we've kind of seen tactical execution in those two Portland games that we've not seen in any other Austin FC game. And it's not necessarily some of it is is just what Portland was giving to us, but it's not all that. It's it's a lot of it is what the Austin FC players were actually doing and how they performed. And so, yes, I think this is repeatable. I think we can replicate this in in games going forward. Not maybe not three one, but we don't need to beat every team three one. Let's beat a team two one. Let's beat a team one nil. Like that's all you really need in a lot of these games. So, um, yeah, I, I think to an extent it is repeatable. Yeah, and then Katie also wanted to just remind everybody that there's going to be a big traveling contingent of Austin FC fans on the November, was I think it's the 3rd, on Decision Day when we play at Portland again. And given those results, 
so far, everybody should want to be there. So we'll put a link to buy the tickets right now. Um, a link to where you can buy the tickets right now, and we'll put a link to it um, in the show notes. So before, there's like a whole bunch of tactical questions. So before we get to sort of the formation in the midfield, this is one of the things that we talked about where, you know, four days ago, we had no players and no attack. And now suddenly <laughs> we're overwhelmed and don't, don't want to know, don't, don't know how to find spots for anybody. But before we get to those, um, I have two Stuver questions. Um, one from Gabe Kirchner, which is, should Stuver have stopped that shot that went in? I think this is the one in the 50, what, 55th minute, which I think you've kind of already answered. Yeah. I think you kind of said yes on short that. short answer. Yeah, I think he probably should have stopped it. But again, Stuver gets a free pass. And then we had another one from um at Barton Marks, uh, which is what about Stuver's all-star snub? And are st- really the question here is are the statistics telling the whole story? Or, you know, are we just do we have like Verde colored glasses and he's not really playing as well as we all seem to think he is? We're we're gonna talk a little bit about Stuver when we talk to Phil for the uh, the All Star Game uh, preview. We're gonna do. I think looking at the numbers and looking at actual performances just this season, not not the whole body of work, full body of work. I think the guys who got called in they're more deserving than than Stuver is because this is Stuver's really only season. But this season, numbers and performances, Stuver has been one of the best keepers in the league and i think he deserves to be there but that's not what all-star games are about right like it's not always all the best players sometimes names carry more weight than performances do and i think brad stuver is a little bit of a victim of that so uh yeah i i think stuver has been one of the best keepers in the league this year and he deserves to be at that game yeah i think he's from everything i've seen i, I have no reason to believe otherwise either um, well, let's get into some of the formation questions now. I believe the big one is going to be, uh, this is Mike Carr was the first one to ask this, but when will we see Musa Jite and might McKenzie Gaines compete for playing time with Musa Jite? Yeah, so we almost saw Jite against Portland, but that gives me reason to believe that there's a really good chance we see him against Dallas. I still don't think he'll start against Dallas. Um He's probably still not match fit enough to to be relied upon for that. But I think there is a decent chance we see him come in at the end of the game if if the the moment fits. So probably soon. As far as the competition with McKinsey Gaines, I honestly hope part of me hopes there is competition, but I kind of hope there's not competition because I think Musajite's upside is much higher than McKinsey Gaines. McKinsey Gaines his last few teams that he got minutes for were in the third and fourth division in Germany. Musa Jite was playing in the French second division, which is a higher standard and has a higher track record of exporting players than, than the German fourth division. And so um, I, I hope McKinsey Gaines can, can contribute and I hope he does well, but I think it's a failure of Musa Jite's potential if if McKenzie Gaines is competing with him and is, and it's not clear that GTA is better than him. Yeah. So like, what does that look like next week? And this is going to a little bit, a tie a little bit into, you know, a ta- a Taylor Rudolph question. But if you think against Dallas that we're, we might, we might, we might see some of GTA, who are you putting in at nine? Is that, do you start Gallagher at nine then? And then, um, and then pull him out. Do you start Dominguez at nine and assume you're going to get 70 minutes out of him? Like how do you make time for Musa GTA? given who's on the roster right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking 
start Cecilia with the nine again. Um, with the caveat that I think Gallagher and Fagundes have to start in the wings. <laughs> They're the only two guys. They were making really good runs, really decisive runs, and very dedicated to making those runs against Portland. And that was a lot of where Austin's success came from. I think if you play other players there that aren't going to do the same thing, I don't know that we're going to be as potent on offense. And so I think start Cecilio at the nine again. Cecilio probably is not going to be able to go a full 90. Bring on Jite for 20 minutes, 30 minutes at the end. All right. I can't argue with that. Well, let's talk about um, Danny Pereira. So let's talk about, we didn't really get into this. You talked, you mentioned a little bit about it, um, you know, earlier about where he was playing on the field. And this is another Katie Ensign question. So one, why do we only play well when Danny Pereira is playing? And then two, how do you feel about the way he played deeper on Saturday with ring playing more forward? And do you expect to see more of that long-term? Uh, I kind of hope to see more of it long-term, but I think the answer to why we play well when Danny's on the field is because he does something that not many other players do on our team. I think Pochettino is really the only other player who can kind of do some of the same stuff, but um, just really smooth on the ball, really ball secure. He can turn and kind of just kind of glide past players. Uh, I made a, a comment earlier in the season that he's got a little bit of Darlington Nagby in him. And I think that position he was playing against Portland the other night was even more Dar- Darlington Nagby because for several of the teams that Nagby has played for, um, he'll be the deepest lying midfielder but is not necessarily the most defensive midfielder if that makes sense and that's kind of what we saw against Portland is that ring was ahead of of Pereira but ring was still doing a lot of defensive work and was uh in so they're playing like a 4-3-3 in attack and a 4-4-2 in defense and so they're right next to each other in defense and so you would still see ring kind of being that focal point of the defense there but in in the attack Pereira just kind of got to be a distributor and kind of move the ball around and and could drive forward because he knew that ring was there. And so if he got a chance to move forward and, and dribble by someone, he could do it because he knew he was covered. But I really like that option. I don't know if it's what Wolf will do every game, but I think it's a good thing to have in his pocket to pull out every once in a while because ring and Driussi looked fantastic playing next to each other. And so I don't see how you couldn't try to do that more often. Yeah, they really did. It's like they were... Like the ring, Juicy, Cilio, Fagundes combination looked like they were playing like a different game than we've seen us play in the attack all year long. That's back to what you said earlier about like running with purpose and all those things, like these connection things actually happening um, in a way that haven't happened before. So there's several folks that asked about where, what's Pochettino's like place on the field moving forward, and especially when um, GT comes in. And so we got a little bit of that from. Joshua Scoggin, I think we got some more from uh, the book of Bricky Fett, um, and maybe also I think a little bit from Taylor Rudolph too. So, like, where do you, where do you see Poach fall, falling into the 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 squad going forward? Yeah, so this is the big question, and I think it's it's a problem that Austin FC has come nowhere close to this season, but it's a problem that good teams have. It's you have too many good players to put on the field at the same time. And so we've got four midfielders that it's kind of a stretch to put them all in at the same time. So Pereira, Ring, Pochettino, and Driussi, it's 
kind of hard to see a way to put them all on the field at the same time to play their best positions. So um, <clears throat> my thought is if we see kind of that 4-3-3 in the attack, I think Pochettino almost has to be one of those two more advanced central midfielders. And if he's not there, you could maybe see him play over on the right wing. I think that would only work if you have, say, Gite and Fagundes as the nine and the other wing. We need somebody else stretching the line or at least willing to make those runs occasionally. I don't know that Pochettino is the guy who's going to do that. He likes to be more central and and likes to have that freedom to move around. So he could maybe play on the wing just to find a way to get him on the field. But I think it would necessitate having a very specific set of other players on the field to kind of cover for where he's lacking. But this it's just going to happen when you have a lot of good players, players are going to miss minutes. But just think back through the rest of the season. I don't think it's anything to get too worked up about. Players are going to need rest. Players are going to get injured. They're going to have a little knocks. So um, I think they're still going to get get plenty of minutes. But on the weeks where everybody's healthy, everybody's rested, Josh Wolf is going to have his man management tested a little bit and is going to have to bench players who have been playing well. And Pochettino might be one of those. Yeah, you're right. It's a good problem to have. And So the other questions we have, I'm going to go to some rapid-fire random questions. But before right. we get to that... <laughs> It's just general swooning around Driussi and Ring and the way they played on Saturday. I don't know if you want to add um, anything on that you haven't said before, but I'll give you the chance to do that too. Yeah, I would like to sing Sebastian Driussi's praises because I don't think we've done it enough. He changed the way this team looks. He's so good. He's uh, just so calm, so deliberate, so skillful, and a very intelligent player, just really, really smart the way he moves. So the little flicks and one-touch passes he did are things that other Austin FC players maybe try every once in a while, but don't always come off. Um, Also, I think part of the reason why you saw Ring playing so confidently in a more advanced position is because Drusi's always there, always in the right spot to receive a ball. And so you saw ring doing dummies and like back heels and little like outside of the foot flicks. It's because Drusi was always in a position to receive the ball from him. And so he's not only the most skillful player on our team at this point, he's just so smart the way he moves around always in the right spot. You see that on the goal. He sees, uh, Fagundes win that ball on the touchline. He crashes the box just right in the right spot. Fagundes finds him. He finishes brilliantly. So, just so many things he did really, really well. I, I know Diego Fagundes won man of the match in the game, and I think he was picked to MLS's team of the week, and Drusi was uh, on the bench for MLS's team of the week. I think Sebastian Drusi was the best player on the pitch that night. Um, I think he's brilliant, and I am so happy we have him because he's he's going to change the way this this team looks going forward, and I think he's going to do it at the at the ten like a more central kind of floating midfield position as opposed to at the nine, because he did not look as good uh, against Vancouver when he's playing at the nine. Yeah. Somebody, somebody else said like, he just does it also effortlessly. And like our other, other, other best players, they're working hard and you can like yeah. tell, I mean, it's not, he makes it look effortless because I'm sure he's doing a lot of work, but when you see like Cecilio or Pochettino or Fagundes, like they're very clearly putting in their max effort, you know? And like, he's just, 
Juicy's just so smooth. It's like he's playing it. Yeah. It's just a different look than anybody else has. Both like physically he's smooth, but also mentally he's very smooth and just like keeps his, he's on the level all the time and like doesn't get worked up about anything. Also, you see him kind of, kind of calling shots and like telling people where to be and people listen to him. Like he's stepped into this team. He's been here, what, two weeks, something like that. And he's already one of the guys in the, on the field telling players where to go, telling players where to be. And he's right. Like they're listening to him and he's just, if just watch him move about the field at any given moment, even when he, he, when he's not on the ball, nowhere near the ball, he's just so smart and very intentional with where he is on the pitch at any given moment. And he's, yeah, I, I love him. (laughs) He's also, he's also a beautiful man. He's a beautiful man. He's much bigger than I thought he was going to be. Did you think that when you saw him on the field? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I I, I mean. Just like the proportions of like his body guy. and yeah. photos made me think he was going to be small, but he's not. He's like, he's the same size as Cecilio, like probably 5'10", 5'11", somewhere around there, maybe six feet. But I was thinking like, he's like a little 5'8", five 5'9", foot 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 guy, but no, he's. He's like a pretty stout guy. He's so stocky he's, too. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, much stocky, bigger than what yeah. I thought he was. Yeah, for sure. All right, so we're gonna work through the random questions, and uh, we'll take turns on here because you can see the script. So, and I feel like I have to ask the first question from Katie of you, which is, which player has the strongest hat game, and why is it Julio Cascante? It's absolutely Julio Cascante. I think uh, Pereira. I think this. I think it was the Portland game. He was trying to do a Julio Cascante impression, and he 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 looked good, but Julio wins. Next question. Uh, do, again, from Katie Insign. Katie Insign sent like 15 questions. <laughs> do we think Wolf got the message that beating Frisco is very important to us all? I think he did. He talked about it specifically this week or on the press conference today, right? He talked about it being a rivalry game. And now, to go back to your argument that you had earlier, he's got the uh, horses to be able to to play the best lineup and and you know not have to experiment with it too which should make, and it's at home. So I'm really excited. We'll preview this, but I'm really excited about it coming forward. Okay, next question from Ricky Fett. I'm going to ask, why does Drew Yusey suck his thumb to celebrate goals? So this is a very common thing in, I think, especially European and South American soccer, but it's to like to dedicate the goal to your kid, like to like a baby. It's like you suck your thumb, and it's like this one was for my kid. And so... I was very confused about that for a while as well. And then somebody told me that that's what it was, but that's, that's what it was. I think he has, I don't remember. I read something the other day about what exactly, like he was doing some other hand, hand motion to it. But the, yeah, if you see a player sucking his thumb, it's because they're dedicating the goal to their kid. Well, that's very sweet. Uh, the second thing is recreate Nate's roast speech from Ted Lasso. And I have not watched this season of Ted Lasso at oh, all. This, this is from the first season though. This is from late in the first season. I don't remember this um, then. It, Nate is like he's like being all shy and like I, I'd like to say a few words to the team if I can and is acting all oh, shy okay. and yeah, just like roast every that player. Yeah. Okay, I got it. No, we're not going uh, we to. I have to that. put some. <laughs> I have to put some work into that one, Bricky Fett. So maybe maybe on another episode. Yeah. All right, Juan Morinelli. I believe this is who this is from. Um, talk about how the South Stand is the most diverse supporter section in the world. I was amazed this time. To look around and see people of all ages, racial backgrounds, and they're all having a blast. It's really unique. That's the only one I've been in, but I continue to be impressed by that. Just the diversity of everybody that's there that's, no matter where they're from or what they do, 
or where they, you know, where they have to drive from or whatever, everybody's just like committed to singing and dancing and shouting for the full 90 minutes. Do you want to add to that at all? No, that's it. Like I, I, um, I'm sometimes a little bit jealous that regardless of the result, we still have to come on this show and talk about it, like the Vancouver game. But I'm I'm a little bit jealous of the folks like in the Murga and and all of them. They just all go to church together every every weekend. Just go on there and like sing and sweat and and jump and dance together. And regardless of the result, they know that they're all going to come together and do it again the next week. And it really is just like this group of people who probably would have never known each other, never gotten together and are all like really good friends now. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm so happy to be a part of that as much as I can be. So the other one we have is from Amy uh, R&B Day and it's about mask mandates, vaccination requirements, a COVID test for Q2. And that's a lot to get into right now. I would just say I have, appreciate portland and uh new orleans is the saints like either vaccine requirement or negative covid test requirement to get into the stadium and i wish we could do that but we don't want to be a soccer and politics show so i don't know if we can get into why or why not do you have a different opinion on that issue uh no i'll say i'll say that i think a lot of austin fc fans would welcome it i would venture to guess the majority of austin fc fans would welcome it I think the geographic location of Austin uh, maybe limits their options or makes it a little bit more difficult for them to do it. There are more and more venues and more and more organizations doing stuff like this. So uh, if you'd have asked me two weeks ago if it was going to happen, I would have said absolutely no way. It's not happening. But as we move through time, you see more and more places doing it. So it might happen by the end of the season. But um but yeah, it, it like you said, it's a a complex and tricky topic. So we'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah. We support public health. Hopefully we can just leave it at that <laughs> and people making good choices. All right. So we are going to take one more quick break and then we're going to come right back with Phil West to talk about the upcoming All-Star game and why we are actually excited about it. So we'll be right back. Well, you love sank in. Just a little too late. You know All right, we are joined by writer for The Striker and writer of, of books and editor at The Striker and writer for many other publications over the years, our good friend and irascible uncle of, of Moon Tower Soccer, Phil West. <laughs> Phil, thanks for joining How's us. How's it going, guys? Absolutely. And my Sounders Rebs picks are looking pretty good, huh? Yeah, <laughs> they yeah. really are. <laughs> you have burned the tapes for March, right? Yeah, I think I picked like Columbus in uh, Minnesota or something. So we should definitely get rid of those. Oh, God, I don't even remember. I don't want to know. Uh, all right. So we're going to talk about the All-Star game with you, Phil. But first, we have to talk about Josh Wolf's magic green shirt. So you absolutely do. You, yeah. you, the, the fans <laughs> were calling for it on Twitter. So you didn't. You didn't necessarily start this movement, but you're the you're the the brave messenger who brought the message to Josh Wolf and told him that the fans demand that he wears green. Yeah, indeed I did. And not only did I do that, I did that like in the second press conference in 14 hours after one of the worst losses that Austin FC has ever had. So, but maybe it was good that I asked that question. Maybe it's good that it wasn't a variation on, hey, where are the goals gonna come from? You know, once again, which is a question that it ended, up being, all too much. ended up being one of the most fun press conferences of the year. Like 
It was a blast. Which is yeah. bizarre after, like, like you said, one of the worst, probably the worst <laughs> loss of the whole season. That I think, yeah, people had asked all, the, all their serious questions the night before, and so mm-hmm. just like, all right, let's ask what color shirt he's gonna wear. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and it, yeah, and it turned out great. And he he got a green shirt. I uh, wrote about it in Striker on Friday, and then I wrote again about it today. Just kind of the sequel um, post uh, post green shirt post uh 3-1 victory over the timbers um you know if they could only play the timbers at home 34 games a year it'd be great yeah definitely so yeah we'll uh we'll link to that article in the show notes but let's move on and talk about the all-star game so are i know both of you are fans at least to certain degrees of other sports do you guys like all-star games are you a fan of an all-star game i think it depends on the sport like the Pro Bowl is ridiculous. I mean, I have a childhood memory when it used to move around every year of like family friends coming back from like a Pro Bowl in Seattle at the Kingdom, which kind of dates me, but I've never really kind of understood that as a concept. NBA All-Star Game to me is fun. Um, baseball All-Star Game is okay. You know, back when I would watch baseball and liked baseball, which I've kind of, I've kind of grown out of now. So it's, it's really a mixed bag, but I think this game's a lot of fun actually. And I think with, and I'm I'm sure we're going to talk about the format here in a second, but I think the format they're going with this year is um, kind of a fun new wrinkle in what they've been doing because they've, they've had a format for a while that has maybe kind of run its course. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And so I, I am not an all-star game fan. I don't like watching all-star games, but I'm excited to watch this one because of the format. So tell, tell the listeners exactly what this format's going to look like. Okay. So uh, leading up to this, this is kind of important. So leading up to this, basically the MLS all-stars were playing one of the touring European summer teams. So they had like, you know, Manchester United, they had a Chelsea, uh, they had a Juvent- Juventus one year. And then um, towards the end, we had a uh, Jeremiah's favorite team at Madrid who are not exactly you know, a fun, fun team to watch, except, you know, especially in the summer when it's, it's maybe not their best players, but um, Atleti's really good at stultifying defense and a coach that looks like a hitman and, and beating Liverpool on occasion, you know, but um, so this year, what it's going to be and Jer- Jeremiah is just not saying anything. I'm just letting you, you know? go, Phil, just hang yourself here, man. It's fine. <laughs> So this year it's going to be the MLS All-Stars against the Liga MX All-Stars, which I think is a great concept. And I think it's been a couple of years in the making and they finally uh, got it to happen. It was supposed to happen last year, but COVID. Um, so this, this year's All-Star game is basically just what 2020 was supposed to be. It's at Bank of California Stadium in LA uh, and it's the, the best that Liga MX has to offer. And ostensibly the best that MLS has to offer, but we'll, we'll get into that in a second here, I'm sure as well. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So how much does this game knowing that, um, and I feel like the weekend is the, on, on Landon's question, sort of the best combination of like, I feel like the baseball all-star game is the all-star game that most rep, re, uh, reasonably represents like the actual sport being played. Right. And I feel like there's mm-hmm. a potential for that in soccer, but then, in the NBA All-Star game, the best part of that is like the uh, All-Star weekend and the skills competition. Right. So I feel like we've yeah. got a chance to combine both of those. But I mean, do you feel like given the format, it proves anything? Like, is there, like if MLS, does MLS like put skins on the wall against Liga Mekis, if they either win the game, you know, or the skills competition, or is it just still all like a bunch of fluffed up nonsense? 
Yeah, I mean, it's not like winning CONCACAF Champions League, right? So if, if MLS ever did that against Liga MX, then yeah, you would you would hear a lot of crowing on the MLS side about we finally made it, we've done it, um, because that's that's one of the the mountains that MLS just hasn't been able to climb. But I think I think this, I mean, I think this does have some significance. I mean, I think if they do win, it will show, you know, at least okay, maybe you know, top to bottom, our teams aren't still as good as Liga MX teams, but we have designated players and and best 11s that can match what Liga MX is doing. And I think that, that will be something. I mean, it's certainly more of a bragging rights than, you know, oh, we beat an Arsenal B team or, you know, we beat you know, whoever Tottenham Hotspur was able to, to bring to Denver, you know, in the middle of July, which has been kind of what they've been doing the last few years. So I think it's a lot more fun. And I think it's, there's, there's a lot more narrative to the actual game. Um, you know, you can't really say much about, you know, I mean, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to face 2016 Arsenal ever again, you know? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think it's, it's narrative for the fans, but also for the players. I think the players will want to win this game, or at least like there's, it's like Bayern Munich doesn't really care about the game when they come here and are playing the MLS All-Stars, but the Liga and Mekis All-Stars right. are going to care about this and the MLS All-Stars yeah, are going exactly. to care about it. And so I think for that reason, it should be a, a bit more fun game. But also, I think a casual soccer fan or a casual MLS fan would probably assume that M- Liga and Mekis best players are going to be way better than MLS's best players. And it's not true. The tops of the rosters are very comparable. It's the rest of the roster that can't hold up against Liga Mekis teams. But the tops of the rosters are comparable. And so it's not going to be like David versus Goliath. This is a pretty evenly matched uh, set of set of rosters here. Yeah, for sure. And both both teams, unfortunately, are dealing with some injuries. I mean, this was a little bit more tasty when the lineups came out. But, you know, Chicharito's out. Carlos Vela's out now. Carlos Hill is out. Um Tejon Buchanan is out, but not because of the injury. It's because he uh, seems to be getting the transfer that has been rumored. At least that's kind of what what's flying around on Twitter. Um, somebody actually sleuthed. <laughs> he took a picture of a hotel window um, that that uh, ostensibly proves that he's going to Club Bruges. So we'll see what <laughs> happens in the coming days. It's yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Just the the internet sleuthing that's happening but then um a bunch of league mx players that are really talented are out as well um but league mx has a lot of really good players to pop back in so like you know um Gignac's not going to be in there from tigres but orbelin pineda and santiago santiago caminas will be in there as well um you know jelly finis mori is going to be playing on hill leone who has like close to 400 caps since 2007 with like 125 goals and almost hundred assists, you know, just, just kind of insane numbers from, from some of these players, but yeah, but I mean, MLS, I mean, obviously you've got, you know, Rua Diaz still playing. You've got um, yeah, just a really, really talented squad of a lot of the, the names that you would probably, you know, just kind of recognize and assume that would be beyond there. I mean, Cade Cal's on there for fun. You've got Diego Rossi. You've got um, Shallowy, who's having a great season. You've got, you know, Crylock from RSL. Um, you know, Reynoso, if he's healthy enough to play. Um, Zellerion just got added. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of talented names on the um, on the MLS side. Um, and then you have Rodolfo Pizarro <laughs> <laughs> has had a really excellent two weeks and they need a midfielder and he's been an L3 player. So uh, Rodolfo Pizarro is also an MLS all star as because of, hashtag about five narrative. Ago. Because narrative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, who's not Phil is anybody from Austin. 
And um, yeah, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like, well, I mean, Brad Stuber is obviously the most yeah. likely candidate. So how do you feel about him not making, not making the squad as an observer of past all-star games? I mean, I'm heartbroken. I, I thought, yeah, I kind of, I think I made this assessment around, I think it was when I went up to the SKC game in June that Stuver should be an all-star. I mean, the, the goalies that are all-stars now, I mean, Turner, obviously from the Revs has had a really incredible season um, for both club and country. Um, Guy Estee from Orlando, who's uh, Peru's number one. I mean, he's the one who actually got voted in. So, I mean, he's a really talented goalkeeper, but um yeah, and then Blake just got added on to the roster as a third goalie. I mean, why not have a fourth goalie? Why not have a stupor? <laughs> um, that'd be fun. But we only, yeah, we only won Texan, actually. Um, Pepe is the only representative out of any of the uh, three MLS uh, Texan teams on the roster. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you could make a case for Alex Ring, maybe, as an all-star. Um Yeah, Houston, I don't think you could probably really make a case for anybody. Um you know, Pepe's a good shout. He'll be fun. Yeah, that's sort of reflective of, reflective but, of the table. I feel, it feels like the, the Texas, exactly. Texas participation in the yeah. game is very reflective of how we're doing. Yeah, there's a correlation. Meanwhile, the Sounders have six players, which is kind of a indication of where they're at. Yeah. Right? So at the time that the voting happened, uh, they were on course to be um, the Invincibles, right? So I've been out of bar from Flight of the Concords. They're Vincible. <laughs> um, but but not not so Vincible. They're they're still pretty yeah. good. Yeah, that's actually really funny. Like Eric Goodman from the Chronicle uh got himself an all-star vote. So he shared his ballot online and he had two different sounders defenders than I did, but three of those four made it. <laughs> so, all of them are fair. All of them are fair shouts, right? Like, yeah, like he had Brad Smith who didn't make it, but he's certainly all-star caliber. And then he had Yaimar and I had Nuhu and Alex rolled on and, you know, they're, they're all on the team and deservedly so. I mean, Nuhu's been out a little bit, but he's freaking Nuhu. <laughs> you gotta have him in an all-star game. He's had a tremendous season when he's been in there and he's Nuhu. Yeah. You know? No Nuhu, no party. No one doesn't want that. All right, so the All-Star Game's happening on Wednesday, but one of the things right. that I'm most excited about this whole week is happening on Tuesday night, which is the Skills uh -huh. Challenge. So tell us a little, uh, yeah. bit, a little bit about the Skills Challenge, <laughs> Phil. Uh, it is a wacky assortment of about six sponsored things, and then it finishes with like a crossbar challenge where they have to, I think it's a timed thing where they have to try to see how many times they can hit the crossbar. So if a shot actually goes in, I think that counts against them. So they're actually <laughs> trying, they're actually kind of trying to, to miss yet hit a target. So yeah, that, that seems confounding. I mean, it's not quite goalie wars, which was one of the kind of legendary skills challenges back in the day where essentially you had uh, two goalies standing about like, I guess maybe 15, 20 yards from each other, just throwing balls at each other's heads. <laughs> this, this is so. the, you mentioned other other sports all-star games. NFL's is yeah. probably the worst. MLB has the home run derby, which I I don't know if it's very popular now, but it, there were years when that was very popular and people really liked watching the home run derby. Yeah, that was fun. For basketball, yeah. the three-point contest and the slam dunk contest, people really like watching those things, right? This is right. MLS's kind of counter to that, and it's kind of mind-blowing that no other league has ever done anything like this before, but... It's going to be crazy fun to watch to see all these guys essentially just playing around. And it's like, I I, you'll, I think I feel like you'll get a good look at kind of the personality of some of these guys. 
And then also just to see the best or like some of the most talented MLS players and some of the most talented Liga Mekis players, just like playing playground games essentially and just showing off and yeah. trying to one up each other. Yeah. And there's two things about that. There's two storylines that really fascinate me about that. One is that Pepe is actually also part of that all-star skill challenge. So, you know, you'll get to see, um, you know, this, this fresh 18 year old, you know, probably his last year in the league. He's probably on his way to, you know, some great destination getting to show off. And then they actually made two goalies be part of it this year. It's not just outfield <laughs> players. Um, so, so Tigres is bringing Nahul uh, and we, we, we shared this moment, I think, on on an iteration of this podcast. Um, this was one of the last CCL games before the pandemic in February 2020. Um, it's when he had the stoppage time header goal. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, to be Alianza. Like they were almost kicked out of, of the tournament. They had almost, they were, you know, just last gasp and they they sent their goalkeeper forward and he had this amazing header that looked practiced. It didn't look like it was chance <laughs> at all. And we had we had we had mentioned that on the show again. We're gonna mention it again because it's one of the one of the greatest moments in in soccer history. And um, so we get to see him just kind of show his stuff and see what he can do but then Matt Turner for the other side is going to be on MLS um, team and like he actually he threw out a first pitch a couple of weeks ago for the Red Sox game and he was he was like a high school baseball player and a basketball player so he's he's definitely um, you know a a skilled athlete he's more than just you know a guy that that stands around and stops shots right so so we could have some real athleticism out of the goalkeepers in this in the skills challenge which you might not necessarily expect when you required to on your eight person team <laughs> all right well i am looking forward to this week it's probably the most excited i've ever been about any all-star game and uh so yeah skills challenge tuesday night all-star game wednesday night i don't know if this is still happening hop squad was talking about having an event for the uh the all-star game if that's happening i think i might go check it out there so if any listeners want to yeah. join uh, if that's actually happening send me a message or just come say hi come find me there but uh phil thanks so much for joining us it was a blast as always Absolutely. We look forward to having yeah, you on sure. again sometime soon for real all right i ain't got no All right. We want to thank Phil West one more time for coming on. We always have fun with Phil and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be sure to have him on again in the near future. Jeremiah, let's do a very quick preview of FC Dallas. I know this has been a packed show already, but we just played Dallas not too long ago, so we don't really have to talk too much about him. Right. So yes, yeah, quick turnaround. We just went a couple of weeks ago up to uh, in early August to Watch Austin play and lose um, again to back to the when we talked about Vancouver. It's the kind of game where we need to to make some moves at the table. The Texas teams currently sit in 11th, 12th and 13th in the West, which are the last three spots. So if we're going to move up and compete for the playoffs at all, um, this is the kind of match we have to win. And this this one, um, what do we have? This one, Vancouver and Houston, right? Are the next are those the next three matches? So for, yeah, and then I think we play uh, LAFC again not too long, too, and they're maybe just above or just under the playoff line. So lots of points to be made up in, in the coming weeks. Yep, for sure. So the, Dallas um, drew Houston on Saturday 2-2. They went down 1-0, scored two goals. 
end up with a draw. I think they were fairly disappointed by that. They did extend Houston's winless streak to 14 matches. Jeez. There. <laughs> tough for Houston. Although we, yeah, we were a part of that. Um, and this is totally from um, John Arnold, the striker, Texas, who pointed out the importance of Ricardo Pepe. Um, when Pepe scores, the team gets points. Just one of his nine goals um, have come in defeats. And basically, every time he scores, they generally win or they at least draw. And that was true also for the Houston match. So keep an eye on Pepe. Make sure he doesn't score. And maybe things will turn out our way um, on Sunday night, right? Yeah, Sunday night. So we should have players pretty rested. They've, they'll have um, over a week free to to recover wolf should have his pick of players whoever he wants to play should be ready and available to play so no excuses on that front this time um we have to beat him austin sd has to beat dallas both for playoff hopes to stay alive for fan hopes of a semi-successful season to stay alive for uh fans to not come after josh wolf's head after this game austin sd has to beat fc dallas and I don't I don't know that we need to say much more than that. Yeah, and it'll put us in really it'll put us back in first place in Copa Tejas too. If you uh to win that trophy, which is probably our only chance to win a trophy this year, uh we need to pick up the win against Dallas or we won't have an opportunity at all to 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 be the winner of the Copa Tejas. All right. Anything else before we wrap up, Jeremiah? No, let's go ahead and wrap it up. All right. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Tell a friend about the show. Um we got we we talked about handing out stickers. Uh, you don't know Jack Schick, who asked a question on this show, offered to to hand out stickers. So we should send send Jacob some stickers, and and he's going to spread the good word of Moon Tower Soccer. Um, if you want to continue the conversation, find us on social media. I'm at lviahero87. Jeremiah is at jbentley underscore atx, and we are both on Twitter and Instagram at Moon Tower Soccer. Also visit the Striker Texas website. I feel like we've pitched a few articles already. Is there any other specific ones you wanted to mention? Well, I want to get I want to I want to mention one and I also want to say that um so last show we talked about the uh my friend at CTRMA. My friend whose boss is CTRMA listens to the show and that guy's name is Greg and I he came to Hop Squad and made sure and said hi and also said he would hand out stickers. So nice. so Greg, <laughs> so we've got an uh, yeah and I have another friend, Greg, who offered to do it too. So we have an army of Greg's willing to hand out stickers. It's on like a, a street team, like a <laughs> yeah. like a two thousand five pop punk band. We're going to recruit a street team to hand out stickers and put up posters. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. But so what I was going to say is, uh, Phil mentioned his Austin FC's undefeated when Josh Wolf wears a smart green polo shirt, and he has the entire history behind how that shirt came to be on Josh Wolf's body. Including, including whether he's a small or a medium, and <laughs> he wore the small cricket polo, although we all guessed he was a medium. So that's the kind of insight oh. you can get at the Striker Texas. All right. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer, where we will review the FC Dallas match over the weekend uh, with our colleagues from the Striker Texas, the Dallas Soccer Show. They're going to come on and talk about that match with us. We'll also preview the next Vancouver match, as Austin looks to move up the table and try to make a playoff run. We'll also cover any other Austin FC news that comes up between now and then. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around. Hello, friends, and welcome to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to review two Austin FC matches. Wait, Landon. Wait.
I think that isn't your opening line. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> I think it's hello, friends, and thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I don't know when that got changed. <laughs> but that's why it sounded bad last week. So I was right. <laughs> you were right. You were right. You know, I, Chris or I must have changed it up that week we did it. Okay, well, that's getting that's going to be the tag at the end of the show. <laughs> okay, good.